Soft as it began by Rubbersole O.T. Chapter 20 His body next to hers is entirely too warm, considering how hot the room has grown in the last few hours, since the sun first rose. But she doesn't dare move away, would gladly overheat if it meant staying like this for a little while longer, long enough to memorise the slope of his eyelashes and the weight of his arm around her stomach, the way his shoulder blades move slightly with each breath, parted lips exhaling the warm air into his pillow. She lets herself watch until she falls asleep again, sedated by the warmth and the rhythmic sounds of Draco's breathing. It had been a long time since either of them had slept this late. The next time she wakes, it's to the mattress dipping and groaning underneath her, to Draco's back, upright, perched on the edge of the bed. It's hotter still, a few degrees warmer already, and Manny attempts to pull her legs out from under Draco's sheets, flexing her toes as her heavy lids flight to stay open. When they finally win the battle, Draco is watching her over his shoulder, his expression even, his cheek marked with lines from his pillow. She watches his eyes linger on her when she stretches, the thin sheet falling away from her breasts and putting them on display for him. She pulls it back up, using a hand to wipe the sheet that blurs her eyes. Coffee? Hermione can only nod. She listens as he stands, and watches with butterflies in her stomach, as he crosses the floor, naked, in search of his trousers. He has a nice bum. She contemplates telling him this for a moment, but her mouth is dry and cotton-like, and she's still half asleep. She closes her eyes again after he has pulled on the plaid pyjamas he left in the room, scratching the nape of his neck with the tips of his fingers. Draco's bed smells like him, and sex. She burrows her face into his pillow, stretching her limbs as a smile tugs at her lips and bidden. She spent the night in Draco's bed, after all, and she can't help but grin at how strange that is, how at the start of the summer it would have been inconceivable to her. When she finally manages to keep her eyes open, she notes her knickers are still on the bedside table, beside Draco's wand, the rest of her clothes strewn haphazardly around the floor. She takes pleasure in looking at it, the pieces of her that now decorated his space, evidence that last night had happened just as she remembered it. She sits up, wrapping the sheet around herself, and leaning against the wall as her fingers tease out a few knots in the ends of her curls. Draco re-enters the room a moment later, holding two steamy mugs of coffee. His eyes fall on her, and she thinks she sees a wave of relief flash over his eyes, as if he expected her to leave, or even be in a panicked state of regret that they'd slept together last night. She gives him a soft smile, hoping to ease his worry. Truthfully, she's the opposite of panicked. She's never felt calmer in her life. Don't slop this on my sheets, he orders, his voice raspy with sleep. She takes the mug, pulling it carefully to her, and watching him manoeuvre his way onto the mattress until he sat beside her, their legs touching. I'm pretty sure there are already much worse things on these sheets than coffee. He gives her a stern look, which softens when he sees her holding back a smirk. They both take a sip from their mugs. Did you sleep well? he asks, turning to look at her again. Mm, she hums, swallowing. You? 
He only nods, studying her with a stoic expression. His fringe falls messily across his forehead, and it makes him look young, endearing. She'd expected this to be awkward, slightly uncomfortable, but she feels none of that. Draco has seen her now, and she has seen him. She isn't afraid that he knows she is fallible, but rather feels safe in the knowledge that he does, and that he has chosen her anyway. I had terrible nightmares this morning that I was being slowly strangled to death by a devil's snare, he begins, tapping the outside of his knee playfully against her own. But then I woke up and realised it was only your hair. She glares at him, watching as he calmly takes a sip of his coffee. Hilarious. She thinks she catches a hint of smirk, twitch at the corner of his mouth, but he covers it with his mug. They sit in silence for a few minutes, listening to birds sing outside of the window, and watching the sunlight trickle through the leaves of the trees, glimmering with each ripple of the wind. She would be willing to let the moment go on forever if there weren't a million things niggling at the back of her mind, all of the things she'd learned yesterday and promptly shoved away in favour of crushing a wedding. There are things, people, in her life that are more important than they have been in a few months ago, but the fact would remain that nothing was more important to Hermione than finding Harry, and so she allows herself to be the one to cut the moment short, to remind them why they are here in the first place. So, Mullins Bellerial Pace, Russia, I think we should go. We can see if there's any evidence that Harry has been there, or maybe even try to communicate to him somehow. If he knew that we had the stone, that we were close to helping him end this. She chews on her lip, thinking of all the ways she could let him know that she's around, and that she'd been here all along, that it was safe to come out so they could end this. Does your brain ever shut off, Granger? Draco teases. I half expect to see steam coming out of your ears most of the time. She feels bad in that moment for talking about Harry in Draco's bed only minutes after they'd woken up, but she also knows that Draco understands, that this is who she is. She turns to look at him, trying to convey with her eyes what she's sure she can't with words, that whatever this is they discovered between them was making her feel things she'd never known she could, that she depended on him, which was more than she could say for a lot of people in her life that she can't fully commit herself to this until she feels what she came here to do and finishes it. Because even though she has finally let herself depend on someone else, Harry still depends on her. Harry, her best friend, and the person outside of her family that she'd ever loved. She breathes deeply through her nostrils, pursing her lips as she thinks. I keep getting the feeling that we're close that we're reaching the end. Draco seems to understand, his grey eyes flashing, his mouth a hard line as he nods. Me too, he says with conviction, his eyes searching her face before he looks away, out of the window. They take a moment to digest this, to let the idea of completing their mission simmer, the possibilities for the outcome vast and untraversed, slightly unfathomable. This would all be over at some point. She'd always known that it would, but somehow the journey seemed so long that the end had never been in sight. There had only been this blurry, warped vision of an undefined future. 
What would it look like? Working at the Howler without investigating Harry's disappearance. His return to England. Reuniting their trio. Reuniting Harry and Ginny. Harry coming home to a world that hadn't put itself on pause for him. It was intimidating. Exciting. It still felt unreal. But it was getting closer now. How would Draco fit into this new world? How would things be different when they got back? Who would they be as individuals? Who would they be together? Further, was there a together at all? Could she dare let herself hope for it? Will you be happy to go back home? To have things return to normal? She asks him. Catching his eye, she tightens her hold on the sheet wrapped around her body. Draco seems to consider this. In some ways. He looks at her, his eyes doing that thing they always do when he says something really serious. In other ways, no. Something twists in itself in her gut, both pleasant and terrifying. She looks down into her mug, staring thoughtfully at the dark liquid, black and seemingly endless. I don't think that anything is going to go back to normal after this. Not really. Draco reaches across her and puts his mug down on the bedside table. And she swears his cheeks flush slightly pink when he eyes her knickers. Normal, he says slowly, like he's chewing over the word. He shifts on the bed, bending a knee and running his nails over the stubble of his jaw. I think that's what makes life interesting, don't you? How nothing can ever really be the same. Moment to moment the world changes, and there are some things you'll never get to keep. There are moments you'll forget about, some only seconds after they've happened. Life constantly offers up beginnings and second chances, and we take them because we wonder how things might turn out differently next time. We're never stuck, even when we feel like we are. The world turns, and we keep on moving with it. I think I like that things won't be the same. I like that I won't be the same. Hermione watches him, silently astounded. She likes the way he says things, how differently his words were conveyed compared to hers. With a sense of poetry, not so straightforward as she would have put them, but all the more beautiful for it. Moreover, there was always a finality to his words, an assuredness, as if he chose each word carefully, knowing it meant something. He told her last night that he wasn't good with words, but she knows better than to believe that. She knows that words mean a great deal to him, and he likes being able to properly express them. This gives her the impression that she somehow flustered him, that her presence frazzled him, like his did to her made it hard for him to think, to put together the thoughts he was usually so gifted at crafting. You think about things in this really strange but brilliant way, she tells him. His lips curve, his brows twitching upwards under his fringe. Do I? She nods. Yes, I guess you make me think about things differently. This seems to touch him, despite how hard he tries to conceal it despite the way his expression twitches, pushing back a surprise and tenderness in favour of his usual, easily controlled stoicism. "'You make me think about things differently too, Granger,' he replies, his voice both soft and serious. "'It makes me miserable.' She laughs, light and musical, 
and her heart squeezes when Draco looks secretly pleased as he's elicited this reaction from her. They both go quiet for a moment, and in display of surprising tenderness, Draco reaches over and traces his fingers over a love bite he'd left on her shoulder last night, swallowing audibly before dropping his hand back on top of the sheets. Hermione sucks air into her lungs, memorising the moment. Then Draco seems to startle slightly, as if remembering something, and reaches into his pocket to pull out a wrinkled envelope. "'I nearly forgot,' he says, handing her the unopened letter. It's addressed to both Draco and herself, and she immediately recognises the handwriting. "'Madge.' "'An owl delivered while I was downstairs,' he explains, watching her set her own mug down beside his, and tear open the envelope with her fingernails pulling out a short letter with their boss's familiar scrawl. Hermione and Draco, I'll make this short. I'm sending a surprise over to you this evening. I didn't want you to be alarmed when it shows up. I hope you've got something nice to wear, and something good to cook. Enjoy. Madge. Madge must know I love surprises, Draco says, voice dripping with derision and sarcasm as he scowls. It sounds like we're being forced into a dinner party. We're this close to finding Potter and he decides it's time for an unsolicited social gathering. Draco rolls his eyes, taking the letter gently from Hermione's fingers to scan it again. And who do you think our lucky guest will be? Merlin knows. With a shrug, Hermione pushes away from the wall and stands from the bed, draping the sheet around her still. It hugs her breasts and hangs over her hips and she struggles not to trip on the bit of it that drags on the floor as she collects her scattered clothes. She consents Draco's steadfast gaze on her, which only serves to make her feel more clumsy as she bends to pick up each item, trying not to let the bedsheet fall from her very naked form. Then, turning and scanning the room, her cheeks bloom hot and pink as her gaze lands on the border of knickers on the bedside table. Draco eyes her with a subtle, amused look, raising an eyebrow as if to say, "'What'll it be, Granger?' "'I think I'll,' she says to Muley, pointing at them before taking a step forwards to grab them, bunching them quickly into her fist and shoving them into the rest of the crumpled clothes under her arm. She looks at him again, flushing, and her heart pounds where he releases a gravelly laugh. "'And here I thought I'd be getting a souvenir.' She gives him a long-suffering look before spinning to leave the room. Granger? His voice stops her in her tracks, and she turns around again to see him wearing a devilish, lazy smile. I'd like my sheet back now, please. She swallows, and tries to think of all the ways she might be able to pull the sheet off, but sultry and confident the impression she might make if she walks out of his starkers, leaving behind the sheet and a gawking Draco. Instead, she gives him a defiant, pointed look, hugging the sheet tighter to her body. "'I might return it later if you're nice to me.' "'Well, then I suppose I might never see it again,' he says without missing a beat, sharp and witty and snarky, her favourite look on him. She gives him another performatively begrudging expression before spinning to leave, exiting the room wearing a secret smile. It is definitely an accident when she drops her knickers onto his floor on the way out. Completely and utterly accidental. 
Blaze and Ginny arrive sharply at seven o'clock. It takes only seconds for Hermione to drop the pretense of being annoyed that Madge inconceived them with a surprise houseguest. Instead, seeing one of her best friends standing on the porch with a bottle of red wine makes her giddy and practically childish with excitement. She makes a mental note to thank Madge later for practically throwing herself at the redhead. The boys indulge them, letting them exchange their tight hugs and cheek kisses, how are you's and once over examinations to see what, if anything, had changed about the other. When it's Draco and Blaze's turn to exchange greetings, they choose a quick brotherly embrace, murmuring words to each other that Hermione and Ginny can't hear, sharing quick but happy smiles before Draco welcomes them inside. Weasley, he nods at Ginny, tight-lipped and placid. I was hoping I'd have a bit longer before I had to see you again. Malfoy, Ginny returns, the nod as she steps inside, giving him a fake and overly pleasant smile. Still as miserable and insufferable as ever, I see. Blaze, your girlfriend is tormenting me. As she should, Malfoy, you pretentious oaf. Ginny glances between Hermione and Draco, as if she expects them both to be suffering from injuries inflicted by the other. She lets her gaze linger on Hermione for a moment, questioning, investigative. She and Draco had both taken care to cover their love bites and bruises with long-lasting glamour charms, not knowing who their surprised guests would be. How are you here? Hermione exclaims after the initial surprise has worn off. Portkey, Blaze replies, as if it's obvious. Draco scoffs, muttering something under his breath. Ginny rolls her eyes, handing Hermione the bottle of wine as they move into the kitchen before answering. Madge thought you two could use some company. He can feel how close you are to ending this, and thought you might have a bit of a break from things for an evening. A return to normal life, if you will. Dip your toes in before taking the plunge. Hermione had never before thought that the kitchen was small, but with four people in it instead of just two, it feels suddenly cramped and claustrophobic. She feels a fierce possessiveness over the room and the house, a strange kind of defensive affection that Blaze and Ginny begin to take up space that has always been only Hermione and Draco's. It was different when Madge was here. He had only stopped by, and emotions were running too high for her to care that someone had broken the bubble she'd built around the life they had been living here. But now, despite how much Hermione loves Ginny, cares for Blaze, their presence feels almost intrusive, as if they're invading hers and Draco's privacy, stepping into a space where they don't belong, that has no room for them. Hermione pushes the feeling away, shoves it back until it's gone. It only felt strange because it was unfamiliar. She was grateful to have Ginny visit, to be delivered a slice of home and a friendly face after she's been craving it for so long. Truthfully, she thinks she might feel this way because she knows all of this is going to end soon. That she and Draco will have to say goodbye to this place. The place where everything has changed and leave it behind. Maybe she wants to protect what has only been theirs for just a little bit longer. Hide it away like a keepsake in a music box and not share it with anyone else. She feels crazy for thinking it. All she'd ever wanted was to return home, with Harry alive and, well, and where he belonged. Now things are a bit more complicated than that. She wonders if she can have it both ways. This life that she's created here, this life with him and her old life, 
a life she'd been uncomfortable in, content to carry on when she returned. Was there a way to bring the two together when they felt so irrefutably different? When they were made up of different things, maybe even of different versions of herself? The thought scares her. When she finally pulls herself from her thoughts, she glances quickly at the wine in her hands and tries to let herself forget about it all, for a moment, to be here, present, with the people she cares about. Well, she says, clearing her throat and looking between her friends with a put-on smile, should we drink? The candlesticks on the centre of the table drip wax onto the wood, flames flickering with every nudge against the table every jostle of a plate or wine glass. "'How's my mother doing?' Draco asks after a sip of wine. they just finished dinner, catching up about Ginny's Quidditch season, going very well, Blaze's newest project at work, not going very well, and when the limited details of Hermione and Draco's adventures that they were allowed to share freely, very little. Blaze and Ginny don't push for more information, though Hermione can tell they want to. She suspects Madge has already given them a speech about confidentiality agreements, and Hermione and Draco had both signed before leaving, and had urged them to understand that they'd have to wait like everyone else for the details when they came out in the Howler's Future article. "'She's well,' Blaze replies, folding his napkin onto his lap and giving Draco an award-winning grin. "'Much better, actually. Talkative as ever. I could hardly get away from her yesterday.' Draco nods, his expression even, though she knows that this is a relief for him to hear. "'Back to normal, then, by the sounds of it,' he says, his voice tinted with affection. "'Does she know you're here?' Blaze shakes his head, his dark brown eyes flashing mischievously in Draco's direction. "'I expect if she did, she would have found some sneaky way to come along with me. She misses you, mate.' I think what she really misses is having someone to boss her around, he says dryly, refilling his own wine glass. Yes, I was going to mention that she's been wanting the chandeliers cleaned. You have to do each individual crystal separately, you see, or else you risk breaking them. Draco's mouth curves upwards, and he leans forward slightly in his seat, his elbows on the edge of the table. When I get back, I'll let her know you offered. I'm sure she'd be delighted to keep you company while you dust. Blaze chuckles, turning to Ginny and taking her hand, which he places on top of the table, their fingers intertwined. Bucker, I think we've already got planned that day, haven't we, babe? Ginny raises her brows, a laugh bubbling out of her as she turns to Draco. He's full of shit. He's all yours, Malfoy. They all laugh amusedly, comfortably and Hermione can't help but remember the last time they'd all been together like this, at the pub, after the intramural Quidditch match. Things had been so different then. Feels like a lifetime ago. Ron sends his wishes, by the way, Ginny says, and Hermione feels Draco look her way. He sat beside her, with Blaze and Ginny across from them, and when her knee had accidentally touched his under the table earlier, he hadn't pulled away. Hasn't moved his leg since. How is he? she asks, before taking a sip from her wine-glass. "'Bored,' Ginny replies, rubbing her thumb over the top of Blaze's hand. "'Lonely. I think he's the most anxious of anyone for you and Harry to get back. He seems lost without you.' "'And here I thought that's just how his face looks,' 
Draco draws, earning a sharp kick from both Hermione and Ginny under the table. He reacts by lifting his palms in surrender, leaning back in his chair again with his lips that twitch. They chat for a while longer, their conversation easy and entertaining, until the bottle of wine is empty and the sun has gone down completely. Hermione feels happy, happier than she has ever might even say, surrounded by friends and the prospect of finding Harry, warmed by the wine and sated by the dinner she and Draco had prepared. If this is what the future looked like, if it could be just like this, maybe she has nothing to worry about after all. Hermione doesn't realise that Draco has thrown his arm around the back of her chair until she catches Ginny staring. It's not touching her, she would feel it if he was, the muscle in his bicep and the fabric of his shirt against her back. It's just there, resting on the wood behind her shoulders as Draco sits languidly in his own chair, listening to Blaze go on about a recent development in the potions field. His position naturally situates him closer to Hermione, though she hadn't noticed his proximity until now. She can smell his clean scent, shampoo, a bit of cologne, and him, all by himself. It makes her want to move closer, to lean back into him so she's touching him. But Ginny's gaze is steadfast, suspicious, so she only takes a sip of her wine, trying not to think about what it might look like. Blaze finishes his rant, swallowing the last sip of his wine with a shrug as Hermione begins to stack the empty plates. Ginny inhales a breath, looking over at Blaze with a conspiratorial raise of her eyebrows. Blaze nods his eyes falling on Draco and Hermione with a twinkle of excitement. So, Ginny begins, looking suddenly both nervous and giddy, her freckled cheeks rounded with a grin. I know we told you that Madge sent us to give some company, but we didn't tell the whole truth. Ginny pauses as Hermione's pulse quickens. Beside her, Draco stiffens, a knee touching hers under the table, finally pulling away as he sits up straighter. It would probably be better for you to skip the lead-up and tell us what you're on about, Weasley, he glowers, using that dry, snarky tone she had once thought was the only way he was capable of speaking. Draco liked to be told things outright. The truth, plain and simple, nothing flowery or dramatised. He gave upfront honesty and expected it in return, even if it didn't always feel good. Funny how straightforward he could be when she knows that inside he's tangled with passion. That he knows he's in control, so much that he's always able to narrow it down to what matters when it counts. Well, now that I have your attention, Malfoy, Ginny rebuts, giving him an impatient and teasing look. Blaze found something. Actually, more than something. We might have an idea where Harry could be. What? Hermione chokes out on an exhale, shifting forward in her seat. What do you mean? Ginny and Blaze exchange another look, and Blaze licks his lips, his dark eyes meeting Hermione's. I was working on a case for a client the other day. His land agent screwed him over and sold him a bit of unplottable land that wasn't all that he promised. It was all the way in Finland, so he went into the sale blind and... Anyway, the, the details don't matter. The point is, I was at the Ministry Archives looking through lists of past clients, names of people who'd also encountered this bloke, 
And, well, I found this. I know Ginny was supposed to keep all of this a secret, but I'm sort of glad she didn't. Blaze leans down and pulls a folded piece of parchment from the back pocket of his trousers. Wrinkled and creased, but otherwise in good shape. He slides the cream square of paper across the table towards Miney and Draco. Draco's the one to snatch it, looking back and forth between Ginny and Blaze like there's something else they still need to say. Miney leans closer, watching the bubbling anticipation, as Draco folds the parchment, revealing a list of former customers, consultation appointments for witches and wizards interested in purchasing second-rate properties or, in Hermione's mind, fixer-uppers, land and buildings that needed a lot of work to be livable, cheap, under the radar. And there, in the middle, highlighted in yellow, is the name Vernon Dudley. Vernon Dudley. And the date of their meeting is recent, within the past few weeks. She'd asked Dean to do a search at the archives every few weeks or so, to make sure more of Harry's aliases didn't pop up. Until now, his search had come up empty. They probably would have found this eventually, if Dean was looking in the right places, but it could have been weeks or maybe months longer. The fact that Blaze and Ginny have brought this to them now has saved them so much time in searching. Harry had purchased land from this man, unplottable land, carefully concealed and quite possibly even placed under a Fidelius charm. She has to agree with Blaze. She's incredibly thankful Ginny had spilled the beans about this detail. Because this is it. If they can figure out where this land is and how to get there, that's it. They've found him. This is... Hermione mutters, trying to find the words... I can't. When did you find this? Yesterday, Blaze states, scratching at the back of his head with an uneasy grin. I went to Madge straight away, requested a next-day portkey, and here we are. I think he was too excited to be miffed that I knew. So? Ginny asks, her eyes flashing, her expression mottled with suspense and hope. Fear. Manny's blood rushes through her body as if it's racing against time. At the top of the parchment is an address in Finland for the land's agent office. There has to be some sort of documentation that could lead them in the general direction of Harry. Looks as if you've finally proven useful after all, Zabini, Draco jokes, glancing quickly over at Hermione so they can share a small moment of bewildered victory. I'm glad I could finally make this friendship meaningful, you absolute bellend. We didn't want to tell you right away, Ginny adds quickly, looking purposefully at Hermione as if she's already known what she's planned to ask. We did want you two to have a break. I knew that if I told you, you'd want to start looking right away, and, well, I figured a few glasses of wine first wouldn't hurt. Hermione stands, pushing back her chair and rounding the table, until she can throw herself at Blaze and Ginny, wrapping them in a tight, awkward hug. Thank you she says, her voice breaking slightly. Thank you. When she meets Ginny's eyes, which are glistening with rare tears, she reads the message Ginny is sending her, with the ease of two people who have suffered the same loss, and groan with it together. She knows perfectly well what Ginny is telling her with that look. Now go find him, and bring him home. Hermione bites her cheek and hold back the sting of her own tears, giving Ginny an equally meaningful look and nodding. I will, 
we will. It's late by the time Ginny and Blaze leave, and Hermione just manages to hold back tears as she watches her friends portkey away from the front porch. Draco is inside, tidying up, his fingers twisted around stems of empty wine glasses, which he brings to the sink, setting them gently in the basin. The candles are burnt out, melted into short stubby sticks that amalgamate together in one hardened wax puddle in the middle of the table. Wordlessly, Hermione steps up beside Draco and collects the clean dishes from the drying rack, putting them away in the cupboard as she hums quietly to herself. "'You never did fix this water pressure,' Draco comments, turning the tap off and settling his back against the countertop, his palms resting on the edge in a casual lean that extenuates the long, hard lines of his body. She takes a second, very obviously checking him out and hoping he doesn't notice. Well, I've never been trained in muggle plumbing, and I don't know any spells with similar results, so I'm open to suggestions. I'm not sure it will matter much longer anyways, he states, his voice free of inflection. Manny digs her thumbnail childishly into the wax drippings, making half-moon indents before pulling the candles away from the wood. I suppose not. She disposes of the wax in the bin, picking a bit from under her thumbnail and tossing it away too. At least our dinner guests were the best-case scenario, she adds, and chuckling lightly as she meets his stare again. He does that a lot, she's noticed, and watches her, not in a creepy way, nor a sexual way, at least not overly, but more like he's fascinated by her, observing like she's something he wants to get to know. Think so? he asks, pushing off the counter and moving to tuck the chairs neatly under the table. Personally, I was hoping for more amiable guests. Argus Filch, Peeves, Buckbeak the Hippogriff. Manny snorts, washing her hands and wiping them on the dish towel that Draco's left beside the sink. That Hippogriff has every right to dislike you. You're being a nasty prat. She turns, finding that Draco is already facing her, propped up against the table. The light falls onto one side of his face leaving the other covered in shadow. One half of him golden, the other half dark. The light accentuates his high cheekbones, the arch of his cupid's bow, the sharp line of his jaw. Yes, well, I wasn't good at much else back then. Manny raises an eyebrow, slightly started by his self-criticising comment. I don't know, she says, trying to lighten the mood. I always did think you were a proper good seeker. Draco tilts his head to the side, narrowing his eyes slightly playfully. His lips twitch, a smile kept clenched carefully between his back teeth. Oh yeah? You notice me with the abundance of Quidditch you watched, Granger? He asked teasingly, looking her up and down in an amused sort of way. Yes, she nods, crossing her arms over her chest. But Harry was better. Draco rolls his eyes. Potter had an infuriating habit of getting lucky, and I'm not talking about the Weaslet. Speaking of, Hermione asks quickly, her cheeks prickling, I think we've been found out. She raises an eyebrow as it disappears under his white blonde fringe. You're worried she'll find out that we slept together? The casualness with which he states this does several things to her. It warms her neck, because now she's thinking about it again. 
but it also slightly stings in the phrasing he's used. No, she shakes her head, trying to hide the disappointment that pinches her features. I just didn't... I didn't think... Draco pushes away from the table, taking a step closer to her. A breeze flows through the open window, and Hermione shivers, while Draco's questioning gaze burns a hole in her face. Slept together, she states, though for what reason she's not sure. A question, maybe? Because she wants to see what the words feel like in her mouth. Because, maybe, seeking affirmation, that is what they were calling it. Draco's expression is mostly neutral, but there's an infuriating hint of amusement there. Once she might have mistaken his amusement for cruelty. His eyes flash when she meets them, and her heart rate quickens significantly. Is that not what we did? She gives him a slightly exasperated look. Well, we had sex. He chuckles lightly. Yes, we did. She hates that he's going to make her ask. Knows that he likes watching her like this, vulnerable and shy, so unlike herself, and all because he's somehow rendered her an altogether different personal entirely at times. The kind of witch to go weak in the knees when he looked at her, when he stood this close and riled her, ever so slightly, into admitting things she'd rather not admit. And you do that a lot? She chews the inside of her lip. You know... Back home. Have sex? She glares at him. Yes, Draco, have sex. I'm asking if you were seeing other people before you came here, and if you plan on seeing said people when you get back. He really is utterly aggravating. He licks his lips, stepping closer again so he's nearly touching her, forcing her to look up slightly to meet his eyes. No, Granger, I was not sleeping with anyone back home. Not for a long time. She nods, willing to let the second part of the question go, so she might not have to hear his answer. But he sucks in a breath of air through his nostrils, and hooks his thumbs into the belt loop of her trousers, tugging faintly at it, like he's debating pulling her into him. And I don't plan on sleeping with anyone else when I get home. She scans his face, her breath sharp and frigid in her lungs, like breathing air in during the winter. Okay, well, neither do I, she mutters, feeling his thumb against the seam of her trousers, smelling the cherry wine left on his breath, which makes sweeter his next words. And I'd like to think we're more than just sleeping together, Granger, but maybe that's just me. She chews the inside of her cheek shaking her head firmly, once, twice, and a third time to make sure she's caught it. No, she adds for insurance. It's not just you. Good, he whispers, finally using his hold on the belt loop to pull her into him. She has to push up on her toes to kiss him, and she makes a low sound in her throat when Draco's free hand comes up to hold her neck, his thumb resting on the dip of her throat and moving it gently back and forth against her skin. His lips are soft, and the wine tastes better on his tongue than it had in the glass. Draco bites her bottom lip, bringing it between his own and nipping lightly before kissing her again. Fervently this time. Desperately. So different from the last two times. They can hardly catch their breath, 
and Hermione's lips are numb and tingly, probably bruised from the pressure. Draco pushes her against the counter, nudging her knees open with his thigh and standing between them, bucking his hips into hers and groaning when she gasps. Would it be too soon to tell you that I want to fuck you so badly right now? He whispers into her ear. I knew you were just using me for sex, Hermione jokes against his mouth, clinging to his arms and rocking into him, finding the severity of his desire matching her own. Her nipples are painfully tight and erect. As if reading her mind, Draco drops his hands from her throat and pushes it under her shirt and bra, cupping her as he kneads the flesh expertly. I thought about this at dinner, Granger, he says against her neck the spot just below her ear that is the most sensitive. With our friends sitting right there, it's no wonder Ginny caught on. She grabs his jaw and pulls his lips back to hers, kissing him like it's the only thing she knows how to do. Her fingers find the bottom of his shirt and she tugs upwards, signalling for him to help her out. I want it too, she tells him breathlessly grinding against him as she admires the lean contours of the muscles on his chest. Seeker's muscles. Muscles she'd long noticed and longer ignored. He lifts her up onto the counter with ease, undoing her trousers and helping her shift them down her hips, before promptly filling her with two of his fingers as another finds her clit. She moans, clenching around him, gripping his shoulders tightly as he begins to thrust his fingers in and out of her, experimenting with what makes her dig her fingers into his skin harder. She squirms against the counter, letting her head fall back hard against the cupboards. Ow! She laughs, looking down to watch him as he pulls the neck of her shirt down, and then he cups the bra of her bra, drawing out of her breasts and attacking them with his mouth. She drops her head back again, harder this time, hitting the same place, but she takes no notice of the pain this time. She's too focused on the pleasure Draco is giving her, as he finds the right rhythm and spot inside of her, as her clit grows more and more sensitive to his ministrations, as he rolls a nipple in his mouth before moving to the next one, leaving his wet spit behind on the dusty pink skin. Oh, God! She whimpers, moving her hips to match his rhythm, the sensations building and stacking inside of her, ready to topple at any minute. She watches him work, lets him kiss her neck, and then her breasts again, notices him watch his fingers disappear inside of her before he pulls them almost all the way out, shiny with her arousal. Tell me when you're close, he demands sucking the skin above her collarbone. She feels like she's floating, and she is not even coming yet. Her entire body is light, suspended in air, and it feels impossibly amazing. He hooks his fingers inside of her, the heel of his hand hitting her clit, and she cries out. I'm close, she manages, barely, her eyes trailing down the taut landscape of his body. He pulls his fingers out of her immediately, and her eyes open in confusion and disappointment. Draco holds her hips, lifting her down from the counter as he begins to undo his own trousers. Turn around, 
he tells her huskily, panting as he extracts himself from his pants. He's hard, swollen and red, and he fists himself as his eyes linger on her exposed breasts. A thrill of excitement runs through her, and so Hermione does as she's told, turns around and grips the edge of the countertop, bending slightly at the waist. I want you to come inside me, she tells him, feeling his fingers peel her knickers down to her ankles. He kisses behind her knee, and she steps out of them, kicking them away. Are you... Contraceptive potion. He positions her hips with his hands, and she hears him mutter a string of curses under his breath as she presents her bum to him. He palms it, squeezing the flesh and sliding one hand up and down one side, and from the back of her thigh to the pointy ridges at the bottom of her spine. Is this okay? he asks, lining himself up with her. She's been holding her breath as she expels it now, looking at him over her shoulder. He looks downright debauched, his eyes dark with desire, breathing ragged, his hair messy, his broad shoulders curling in on themselves as he rubs himself against her wet centre. Yes, she tells him, pushing back against him to signal her readiness. He uses the flat of his palm to push against the centre of her back, making her lean forward more as he slides into her. They both groan, the sound of Draco's bouncing around the room, music to her ears. He pulls back slowly, pushing in again at the same time, until his hips are settled against her arse, his hands holding the flesh of her hips, like he's about to fall and his grip is only keeping him from it. Fucking hell, Hermione, he moans, beginning to move, pulling her into him as he thrusts forward, slowly at first, but building speed. Hermione's knuckles are white against the counter, her breasts spilling over the edge of her bra and bouncing with Draco's efforts. He fills her up, stretches her and slides into her so well that she feels like she could overflow with him, that he could keep giving and she'd just take and take and take until she was spilling over with him, with his pleasure, and it still wouldn't be enough. Draco leans over, grunting softly with his exertions as he finds the right speed and rhythm. He kisses her shoulder, his hot breath against her neck, as he hits the spot within her that brings her pleasure front and centre once again, reminding her how close she'd been when he'd pulled away earlier. Draco pulls her upwards until she's almost parallel with him, her back arching away from his chest as she rests the back of her head against the crook of his shoulder and neck. He speeds up and the room fills with the sound of their skin slapping together, Draco's pelvis beating her bum with thrusts both greedy and benevolent. You're so beautiful, Granger. He grunts into her ear, his voice low and guttural. I should tell you more often. Draco! She whimpers, turning her head to meet his lips in a messy kiss as he moves against her, a friction so delicious she thinks she can taste it. His hips begin to snap faster, frantically, one hand skating around her hip to her front and finding her clit, circling it with devotion, with intent. Come for me, he says, his pace faltering his back hunching, leaning over so they're both bent forwards. 
Hermione moans, her arm bending unnaturally to hold the back of Draco's head as her mouth stays open, sucking in breath after breath, trying to make up for the ones he keeps stealing from her. Her orgasm begins in her belly, this hot, heady thing that focuses itself deep in her gut before exploding through the rest of her body. Her limbs go limp and she collapses forward, hearing and feeling when Draco finds his own release. Granger, fuck, I'm... He spills into her, warm, deep, his moan long and throaty, his arm around her middle keeping her upright as he thrusts shallowly into her, her walls contracting around him. After a moment or two they slump to the floor, entangled and sticky, their clothes half on and half off, their panting filling the air as they catch their breath. She thinks that might have been the hardest she's ever come. She tilts her chin up and kisses the corner of Draco's mouth. His eyes are closed, his hand resting on his bare stomach, which is covered in goosebumps. You're right, he asks, lifting his neck to inspect her. There are a few bruises blooming on her hips, the shape of his fingertips, and she traces them lightly with her own fingers, her body trembling with the aftershocks of her orgasm. I'm wonderful, she tells him, looking up at him and finding him wearing a strange expression. She might call it religion, she might call it bliss. One day, she might even call it love. Not right now, but one day. Me too, he says, his head falling back softly against the floor. Me too. (laughs) 